I spent almost two years with my kahila every Shabbat afternoon going through the sugya, step by step by step, every shita out there, Minchat Yitzhak, Yabiyah, Omer, you name it, Rav Shlomo Avinir, all the giants go through step by step until we came to the conclusion. And I decided this is mutar and it's praiseworthy and it's a mitzvah and even a chovah in my humble opinion. If we show no regard for this place at all, the army's going to slowly back off. Everyone's going to move away from a political, military standpoint. It's only because we're there and we're pushing for equal rights that we're allowed to daven. That's why we're holding on for dear life and hopefully making progress. I'm Scott Kahn, and this is The Orthodox Conundrum. This is The Orthodox Conundrum on JewishCoffeeHouse.com. I'm Scott Kahn. This past Thursday was the fast of Shiva Sar B'Tammuz, and we're now at the beginning of Ben Hamitzarim, the three weeks from Shiva Sar B'Tammuz to Tisha B'Av. These three weeks represent the time between the breaching of the walls of Jerusalem until the destruction of the Beit HaMikdash and the start of our long exile. It's sometimes challenging to feel the Avelut, the morning of the destruction, when the Jewish people live in a time of unparalleled prosperity, when we can visit and live in a thriving state of Israel, when we see a beautiful city of Yerushalayim filled with Jewish people from around the world. Am Yisrael certainly absorbs terrible blows. Terrorism, the deaths of young soldiers, anti-Semitism, and more continue to plague us. For many people, however, our day-to-day lives are easy enough that the destruction of a now-rebuilt city 2,000 years ago feels distant to our everyday concerns. One of the ways that some people are able to experience the lack of a Beit HaMikdash is to ascend the Temple Mount today. The chief rabbinate of Israel has prohibited Jews from doing this, and the majority of great halachic authorities also say that it's not allowed. It seems that the main halachic objection is concern regarding people's status as Tameh or Tahor, that is, laws regarding purity and impurity. In fact, we work with the general assumption that every Jew is Tameh mate today, that is, we've all come into contact or have been under the same roof as a dead body. And because we no longer have the means to remove this impurity, a person's status as Tameh mate is effectively permanent. Perhaps surprisingly, this status doesn't in itself preclude an individual from going up to Harabait. By Torah law, people who are Tameh mate cannot go into the section of the Temple Mount called the Azara or further in. And by rabbinic law, they can't go further than an area called the Chel but they are allowed to go outside of this area on the Temple Mount itself, as long as they don't have other types of impurity, which even today may be removed by going to the mikveh. That means that in theory, there should be no objection to going up to Har Habayit, as long as we've already immersed in a mikveh and are careful not to stray into the area of the Azara. Of course, I'm oversimplifying, and no one should ascend without first checking with a competent halachic authority to make sure that they've taken care of all the necessary preparations and precautions. Despite this, as I mentioned, most poskim argue that Jews should not go up to the Temple Mount for reasons that will become clear during this podcast. In fact, when I was a teacher in the classroom myself, I urged my students not to go up to Har Habayit and have never gone myself. And I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. But I was honored to discuss the issue with Rabbi Danny Myers, who has a very different approach to going up to Har Habayit. And while I don't agree with his political conclusion— I think that going up is waving a red flag in the eyes of people who may then commit acts of terrorism. Rabbi Myers' love for Am Yisrael, his careful halachic analysis, and his powerful faith in God are inspiring, no matter what you believe regarding this particular issue. It was also fascinating to hear how he suggests that we relate to the Chorban in a Jewish world that has seemingly grown past it. We'll get to that conversation in a minute. First... Let me remind you to share this podcast, rate the Orthodox Conundrum, and write a review on Apple Podcasts, and let us know what you think on the Orthodox Conundrum discussion group on Facebook. Check out jewishcoffeehouse.com for the Orthodox Conundrum and other great podcasts, and remember to subscribe to them on your favorite podcast provider. I invite you to read my substack, Orthodox Conundrum Commentary, where I offer my own reflections on some of the issues raised in this podcast, as well as on other topics that matter to me. My latest article is entitled, Appreciate the Vigor and Insights of Youth, without dismissing the wisdom of the elders. You can find a link to Orthodox Conundrum Commentary in the description of this podcast, so get your free subscription today. 
The Orthodox Conundrum is looking for sponsors, either to promote your business or organization, or in somebody's honor or memory. If you would like to reach thousands of listeners every week, write to me at scott at jewishcoffeehouse.com. Thanks to all of our Patreon subscribers who have access to bonus Jewish Coffee House podcasts, merch, and more. You should join our Patreon team, too. The link is in the description of this podcast. Finally, if you don't have a podcast, you're missing out on the best new way to reach hundreds and thousands of engaged listeners. But if you want to start a podcast, you need to make sure that it's really good, both in terms of content and production values, so that you will be noticed among all the other podcasting options out there. If you have opinions that you want to share with a large group of people, or a growing business that's looking for a great new marketing tool, or an organization that's looking to reach hundreds and thousands of captivated listeners, you should have a podcast and one that is of the highest quality, and we can help you make that happen. Contact me at scott at jewishcoffeehouse.com or go to jchpodcast.com to learn how we can help you make a high-quality, effective, and entertaining podcast. Rabbi Danny Myers is the rabbi of Kehilat Menorah Tamaor in Ramat Beit Shemesh, the Menahel of Talmud Torah Magen Avot, and Rav Beit Sefer Netzach Yisrael. Rabbi Danny Myers, thank you very much for joining me today on the Orthodox Conundrum Podcast. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure indeed. As we emerge from Shiva Sarbatamuz and begin the Bainam Sarim, the three weeks between Shiva Sarbatamuz and Tishabav, a lot of people, I'm sure, have a difficult time relating to the Avelut, the mourning that we experience at this time, to the feeling that something's missing, because here we are living in what for Am Yisrael really are tremendous times, living in a wonderful state of Israel, at least we have the Zuchut to do that here, and in a thriving city of Jerusalem, you look at it, it's hard to relate to the morning. I want to get to that eventually, but that's by way of introduction. One of the ways, however, that I know that people relate to it, some people, is the question of going up to Har Habayit, to see the place, the Makom HaMikdash, the place where the temple once stood. There are many halachic issues involved in this, and I mentioned some of them in my introduction. Maybe we could start off, Rabbi Myers, by simply giving us an overview, and then we can talk in more detail about your feeling about going up to Harabayit. Is it permissible? Is it permissible but not advised? Is it permissible but required? Is it forbidden? What's your take on this? Wow, fantastic question. Fantastic series of questions. First of all, the most important point I can mention here is Asel Harav, that every person has to follow his Harav regarding this area. So whatever I'm saying is, is my humble opinion, and people who my shul who follow me, of course, follow that, but everyone should follow that rough. And what I say is, is my opinion, but people have to, it's very, very important. We're talking about a very serious issue, a huge machloket argument among the giants for generations, and it's not something to be taken lightly in any way at all. My humble opinion, I think this is a hashkafa and a halachic sigya. First question is the whole Shabbat Sion return to Israel over the last 200 years. Is that something that we embrace? The term Kivush Haaretz is that idea of conquering Israel, something that we are supportive of, that we say, of course, this is the time to conquer Israel. And Baruch Hashem for the San Remo Conference, the Balfour, the San Remo Conference, the Balfour Declaration, the 47 vote, then the 48th. War of Independence, 67, that's all part of, under an umbrella called Kiva Sha'aretz. If we maintain that way, that's one position. Rav Shach, Zechit, Tzadik, Lavrocha did not speak that way at all. For him, Kiva Sha'aretz, that was not the time to conquer the land, lay low, don't incite the Gentiles. It's a different headspace totally. And I'm not even getting into the Sabah Rebbe Zetzal's view. Even Rav Shach, in the Lithuanian world, who was part of the elections, part of the Knesset, Still, he said, this is not the time for Kibosh. That was his position. I embrace, of course, Rav Cook, Rav Soloveitchik, Rav Lichtenstein, that it is a time for Kibosh. And, of course, we have to go back in a proper, responsible manner. And then you have the amazing question comes up. So we try to conquer Hebron, try to conquer the West Bank and Eretz Israel and settle and have Jewish sovereignty. What about Har Habayit? Where does that fit into this question of Kivush? What an amazing question. And there's a range of opinions. Those who do not embrace the concept of Kivush for Beit Shemesh, for Modi'in, for Kiryat Sefer, obviously they're not going to apply to Har Habayit. Those who say this is the Tkufa of Kivush, of Jewish sovereignty, then you have a split. Shockingly, some of the leading Talmudim Rav Tzvi Yehuda Kukzech Tzadik Levracha, Vashlom Avinei Rav Tau and others say, Kivush applies to every mountaintop in Israel, except for one, Ahar That's for another 
fascinating. The fact that the Rav Shach world is not going to have Kivash on Harbayit, that's, that's of course, that's not surprising. It's shocking that the Rav Avinair, the Shlita, Rav Tau Shlita, that those giants, students of Rav Svi Yudakuk, maintain that Kivash is for all parts of Israel. A very Israel, but when it comes to Harbayit, that's for another period in Jewish history. It's a fascinating idea. While others maintain Rav Dov Lior Shlita, and others maintain Rav Nachman Rabinovich, Tzatzal, then no, all the more so, you should go ahead and have Jewish sovereignty over the Temple Mount. It's another piece of real estate in Israel, and so much more. The Kedusha is there, and this is a step, not just having another few hundred meters, but as the next step to prepare for the Migdash and the Sanhedrin and pushing that piece of history ahead. So that's part of an umbrella of Kivush Haaretz. That's one aspect. Let me ask about that aspect first, because in describing the Kivush Haaretz, conquering the land and taking it over and establishing a Jewish presence. So my question would be, in terms of that, is ascending Har Habayit, again, we're speaking about individuals, not the army, people like you and me going up to the Temple Mount, how is that a manifestation of Kivush? If the army is there, which it is, guarding it, admittedly, the Islamic Waqif has religious control, I suppose you could say, of day-to-day affairs, and our going up there doesn't change that. The army has security control, our going up there doesn't change that. So how would you say, Rabbi Myers, that those who advocate going up as part of Kivush Haaretz, how does that help anything? Great question. So I started, I spent almost two years with my Kihila every Shabbat afternoon, going through the sugya, step by step by step, every shita out there, Minchat Yitzhak, Yabiya Omer, you name it, Rav Shlomo Avinir, all the giants go through step by step until we came to the conclusion. And I decided this is mutar and it's praiseworthy and it's a mitzvah and even a chovah in my humble opinion. And five years ago, the first time I went up, so you're allowed to talk. You're allowed to talk there and you're allowed to talk Torah. So I move a lot, so I'm talking, I'm giving a shir to my kahila. It was an exciting moment, and I'm moving back and forth. The shoteh, the police said, no, 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 don't move back and forth. I said, but I'm talking Torah, I'm giving a shir, I'm not davening. I said, yeah, but it looks, it looks like you're, you're davening, just, just stay still. He was in the These are the Israeli police. Israeli police, and no, no, that's what you have to do. Don't in any way look. That's five years ago. Last week I was there, Fila Betzibor, Hazara Shatz, Kedusha, Kaddish, Birchas Kohanim, Tachanon, the full davening, the full davening. That is what I call progress, okay? Putting facts on the ground and something which was absolutely unthinkable five years ago, like the water on the rock. We just keep going and going. And in the winter, if it's a little rainy and we don't have a full minion, who helps make our minion? The Jewish policeman. To understand the collaborative process that's going on here. And step by step, Kimma Kimma, the famous Yerushalmi Gemara. So step by step. And guess what? It's not just that we're having kivish regarding davening. If we show no regard for this place at all, the army's going to slowly back off. Everyone's going to move away from a political, military standpoint. It's only because we're there and we're pushing for equal rights that we're allowed to daven. That's why we're holding on for dear life and hopefully making progress. This is separate from the Miss of Tzvilah, which you know, we'll discuss as well shortly. Let me ask another question about that, if it's okay, Rabbi Myers. And again, this is a difficult question, and there might not be a correct answer, or maybe the answer is, this is the price of kivush, of taking over the land. One thing that's always worried me, and I'm wondering how you feel about this, is the canard that we want to knock down the mosque, that this is all an attempt to undermine Islam, or whatever else is being said. But it doesn't matter whether it's accurate or not. The fact is that there are a lot of Muslims on the street in Israel who believe that the Jews are trying to kick them off the Temple Mount. And as a result of that, you hear about people, Lolaino, being stabbed and killed by people who are trying to avenge Al-Aqsa, the Temple Mount. The fact that it's ridiculous doesn't really matter. The point is that that's what's going on in their mind. And is it possible, and I'm sorry to say such a difficult question, is it possible that our presence on Har Habayit is exacerbating this feeling that they have. And as a result, 
Lo'olainu, Jews might be killed? Yeah, it's a tough, tough question. Unfortunately, our presence in Israel exacerbates our cousins, the Arabs. And before Hakamat Medina, in Jaffa, Hebron, just read through the list of destructive and horrific acts by the Arabs. Before any state existed, our presence here in Israel is a thorn in their side. And the Pesukim warned that this is what's going to happen and we have to go ahead and fight for the land, even though Shoftim made it clear we didn't do what we were supposed to do in Yeshua and they remained and uh, they are a thorn in our sides and that's the way it is. And they look for any excuse to go ahead and kill us. Nothing to do with the Temple Mount. That's just another excuse that they have now. And when we were in Hebron in the 20s, that was an excuse. When we were in Jaffa in 1917, was an excuse. It really doesn't make a difference. We went into Jenin last week. That was a great excuse for the mother to tell her son, go kill some Jews. So, yes, is it on the list of excuses? A hundred percent. Okay. I'd like to move on to some of the halachic issues that are involved. Because in addition to the fact of kivush, there's a question simply about going up regarding tumantara, purity, impurity, moraha mikdash, which means the fear having the proper presence of mind on Harabai, you already alluded to that when saying you can speak Torah up there. You obviously weren't just talking about the ball game. You can talk about specific things up there. But these are issues that post in our generation, as well as the Rishonim, have raised in terms of the permissibility of going up. A lot of people incorrectly think the issue is, well, we're all Tame mate. We all have impurity of a dead body nowadays. Everyone's considered to be Tame mate, and that's the problem. And that's not halakhically the problem. There are areas that a Tame mate is allowed to go up. The bigger problem is, as I understand it, Tumahayot Sembi Gufo, which is a different category of impurity, which includes things such as Nida, Zav and Zava, and others. And this is where the postgame have a great difference of opinion. Could you briefly outline some of the issues and why you feel that it's important to side with those who say that we should go up despite the problems? Sure, 100%. So when we go up, as I said, it's kibosh on the tefillah. Tefillah there, there's no place for tefillah in anywhere in the world like there. People look at the Segulas, they go to Breslov, which is fine. And they go to Meron and they go to all these places and the Kepri Tzadikim, which is all fine. Nothing against any of these places. Wherever a person finds inspiration, Hashem should answer his heart's anywhere. But in terms of Amasora, it's clear that Makom of the Migdash is the ultimate place for Tefillah. That's clear with Mishnah and Smacho, that is the place where Hashem answers Tefillah more than anywhere in the world. Efficacy Batfilis is everywhere, but nothing like that. Anyways, regarding the halachic shailas, yes, there is certainly a problem. A person who's tamay met, and everyone is tamay met, because we don't have the paraduma yet. Yet. There are preparing paradumas, and Mitzvah Shem is going to be available soon, but we don't have it yet. And we all tamay met, and the person cannot, who's tamay met cannot go to the Azara. And the Rambam Paskins, even today, without a mikdash, if someone goes into the Azara, that's a very specific area in the raised platform area. You have the Holy of Holies, the Dome of the Rock. That rock is the Evan Shasia, that area. And you go further east, a certain amount of meters. That is the area that's of the Azara that no one goes up. Because we all know to stay away from that area. Of course, we are Tommy May. Then outside of that, you have the Ezrat Nashim, which we can't go either. And then they have the Hail around that. Outside of that, you have the halachic area called the Har Habayit. And Baruch Hashem, a lot of great archaeological studies, both in the Jewish world and Whitmire in the the secular world, where the consensus more and more and more is that the Dome of the Rock is truly the Dome of the Rock, like the Mishnah Brunnebach held. And therefore, you know the areas where you could go and be away from there and will not violate any issue whatsoever. And then, in my opinion, once you don't have an Isser, it's Har Habayi, well, all you need to do is go to the mikveh in the proper way, properly. You have to go the way the woman goes to the mikveh, totally cleaning of the cleaning of the uh, body perfectly, just like a woman does. No, You know, a chatzitza whatsoever. It's not like Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. It's much more serious. Uh, a bracha is said on the tefillah. It's a serious thing. And, and once you go into the mikveh and yeah, you're removing that tum'ah, not too much mate, but too much as you mentioned, then one is allowed, and in my opinion, has a mitzvah and is obligated, in my opinion, to go to our by a fatfila and fakivush haaretz. But of course, the postkim are concerned, and many have gazeras that maybe you'll go to the mikvah, but your friends are not going to go to the mikvah. 
maybe you'll go to the right place, but your friend's going to learn from you and go to the wrong place. And they have a lot of gazeras and fears. In my opinion, it all goes back to, is this a value? If this is a value, you're not going to start making up new fears and decrees. But if it is not a value, you don't think it's anything great. Yeah, you know what? I'm afraid of this. I'm afraid of that. I'm afraid of that. And therefore, just stay away. Okay, what about the question, Rabbi Myers? What you said makes a lot of sense. I really do understand that. I know that some people say that the question of exactly where Har Habayit is versus the Makom HaMikdash, the Azara, as you mentioned, it says in Masachet Midot that the space of Har Habayit itself, the Temple Mount, is 500 Amot by 500 Amot. The current space at the top of Har Habayit today is larger than that because Herod added some extra areas to it, which means that on the side of leniency, there are areas that aren't even considered Har Habayit according to Halacha. But on the other side, we're not sure exactly where those 500 Amot are, and therefore we don't know exactly what's considered inside those 500 Amot, the space of the Azara, the place where everyone agrees you're not allowed to go because we're all Tamei mate which leads to potentially very serious problems because if somebody who's Tamei mate goes into the Makom Hamikdash, the place of the Azara, beyond what's simply called Har Habayit, he's Chayv Karet. It's a very serious infraction. Some people have questions whether we are allowed to rely on archaeological discoveries to determine where that space exactly is. And accordingly, it can be a little bit worrying if we by mistake made a mistake in there. As you said, there are a lot of opinions that say the Dome of the Rock is over the Kodesh HaKodeshim, but not everybody is sure of that. So given the stakes, and I don't mean the stakes of Kivush, I mean the stakes of a Chiyuv Karet, a very serious prohibition, why do you feel that it's worthwhile to rely on archaeological discoveries to determine a halachic matter? Very good question. Excellent question. So, yeah, just to strengthen your question, one of the giants of our generation who is around the corner from us, Rabbi Khan, as we speak, Rabbi Sturmbach, has yeshiv in Gimel. So he lives in Hanof. He's one of the Zakanim of our generation, the more demuzmanim, Shuvot Vanagot, giant of giants. So 30, 40 years ago, when he wrote his Shuvah, he held that when we daven at the coast of Amaravi, we face exactly straight. Because that's the real Makam HaMikdash, as opposed to some who will turn to 10 o'clock, maintaining, no, you want to face towards the Dome of the Rock, because that's the real Kodesh Kedoshim. He'll say, no, go straight. Now, wait, according to that, from Sternbach, Shlita, giant of giants. So when I'm up there, I'm a dead man. So you add just exactly, it's just strengthening your question, Rabbi. So uh, I prefer to be alive. So why would I do this? So, yes, there were definitely studies 30, 40, 50 years ago. Rav Goren, he was really the first gadol that literally jumped into this topic, and he did his research. And, yes, it's not only archaeology. It's topography. It's a lot of different variables involved. One advantage, I think, to those shitas that say the Dome of the Rock is the rock, the Evan Hashem, that's called Kedoshim, is that the rabbis who are up there now, the Rav Dovli Ors, they've researched Literally, they have left no stone unturned, literally, because they're up there. They understand and they will tell you exactly where the real Western Wall is. And they'll show you it's a different level of investigation, not to put down anyone's investigation. And Rosh Sternbach, of course, Minchas Yitzhak, and all of them investigate based on their knowledge and, and their insights. But to me, the ones who are really involved in it, it's a different level of investigation, in my humble opinion. So in all respect, so all the gedolim in every group and every camp, I'm very comfortable with the researchers who are there day and night, literally and figuratively studying there, and it's a different level of insight, in my opinion. But I, I respect every shita, and when someone comes to the community, or from outside the community, someone call me from the States, they're coming, they're in Israel, and they want to come up with me. I said, where do you dive in? Davin and the youngest old so-and-so. Doesn't matter. I don't want to mention his name. I said, please ask your rabbi. He calls me the next day. Rabbi, I'm not joining you. I said, don't <laughs> be sad. You can be sad that you're missing out on the experience, but you call like a vote that you're excited to go, but you're not going because your rabbi, your Morad Asra, said not to go because his Morad Asra is a student of Shech to Shlita, or Shech to maintains that inherently is not a problem to go, but the Rabbanut, once the Rabbanut paskins not to go, he says, the Haredim don't really hope by the Rabbanut, the Chilonim and our father, the Rabbanut, if the Datilumi middle group reject the Rabbanut in such a crucial area, the whole authority is taken away from them. 
And that's how Rav Shechter sleep the Paskat. And this this wonderful Rav in the New York area is a student. He said to, to my friend who wanted to come, no, you can't go. And I said, you shouldn't go. It's wrong. So I respect all the different sheetas. And I understand the concern of the Rabbanut, but to me, the mitzvah and the kibush and, and the and the yeshivaras and the tefillah is so important that I don't want to hurt the Rabbanut in any way, but this is my humble opinion what's the right thing to do. That makes a lot of sense. Let me ask you two more halachic questions, if it's okay. One of them is, I believe, is Rav Avad Yosef Zatzal, who raised the issue of Moran Mikdash, the fear and the awe that a person is supposed to have in the Mikdash. I don't mean he's the only one, but he might be the most famous modern posek to say that's a reason not to go up. Now, on one level, I can understand if you're just going to daven and you're just, that's the only thing you're going to do rather than to speak divrei chol, secular matters, and you're going to say divrei Torah, there's no problem. How do you answer his problem, his his objection that people aren't necessarily going to have their requisite presence of mind when they go into Harabite. Right, right. So definitely need to have Aram Mikdash. And once again, I'm quite convinced that once you hold this as a great mitzvah, then you're going to make sure to follow all the details. You're not going to just throw it away. You know what? Let's just take a sick example. I'm really nervous about Kares, uh when a man is with his wife and she's a Nida. And she doesn't go to the mikvah properly. She doesn't count the right days. So you know what? I, I think it's best to just don't get married because we're playing around with kares. No rabbi would ever say that. And if he'd ever say that, he'd be thrown out, put into chayra. Yes, there's a risk of kares, a man and his wife. And there's a risk of being over horribly surim, onas to barm if he doesn't talk nice to his wife and his children. A lot of risks. But we take those risks because there's a great goal called marriage. So it's, in my opinion, if you hold as a great mitzvah, yes, make sure you learn the halachot of Mora Migdash. The one who really talks about Mora Migdash, even more than Ravadi, is Rosh Hashanah from Beit El, and the head of the Shivat in the old city of Terakonim. And he says, By staying away, that's what brings us close. He's entitled to his shita. He's a giant of giants. I love him. But he doesn't hold this agreement for the go in any way now. It's not the right time. And then, yeah, so stay away, more migdash. But to me, if you hold this agreement for the go, you're going to work out all the details just like nida and marriage. That's how I look at it. Okay. One final halachic issue before we get into some other questions. I know the Chazal said someone who is an Am Ha'aretz, which is a technical definition, it's somebody who isn't familiar with the laws of Tuma and Tara, is considered a Zav, which is the kind of Tuma that that person is not allowed to go anywhere on Har Habayit. Rav Tzvi Pesach Frank, I read, says that nowadays, since we don't normally deal with Tuma and Tahara outside of the laws of Nida, it's just not part of our lives as it was in the days of Chazal. Therefore, everybody, when it comes to Tuma and Tahara, should be considered Azav, should be considered in that category. If everybody has the status of Azav, that means it doesn't matter if a person goes to the mikvah, he or she is still not allowed to go up to Har Habayit. I'm curious how you answer his objection. Very nice, very nice. So the Minchas Yitzchak also, Dayan Weiss, the Holy of Holies, the Dayan Weiss, Minchas Yitzchak, he was the head of the Eid uh, Haredis, you know, 30, 40 years ago, giant of giants also. He also says that we don't really know, we can't differentiate between a Balkari anymore and a Zav, and therefore you don't know in terms of what emission is considered a Balkari and which one is a Zav, and therefore that's it. And he quotes him, I'm and this and that. In, in my opinion, it's all legitimate concerns, okay? But uh, but so much depends upon, do you hold there's a great mitzvah to go? If not, you're not going to start being hoshesh to every possible chumrah. So mm-hmm. yes, yeah, you want to say that maybe I'm a zav, and a zav needs shivan akim, and a ma'ayan? Yeah, yeah, maybe. Maybe. That's not the simple shot in the sugya. The simple shot of this thing is not that way. So once you don't, there's a chicken and an egg thing. point here, in my opinion. When you hold it's a mitzvah, you're going to make it work. Not going to chas v'shalom, ignore any silo whatsoever, chas v'shalom. But you're going to find, you know, go through the cigar and that's it. But once you hold, there's nothing to it. And it's just a problem. And getting the Arabs upset with us. And you got this and that. Oh, you know what? I have this chum I could find. I could find this chum. And fine. Have all your chumras. So to me, by not having the chumras, by following din in these areas, in my opinion, I have fulfilling one of the greatest mitzvahs of our generation. 
I hear that. And I said that was my last halachic question. I have one more halachic question. It's the question of women ascending. And this is not a pro-men, pro-women thing. It's a very, very specific issue when it comes to impurity. Simply put, women have more ways of becoming impure than men. And because of that, I have read that some people are more machmir when it comes to women going up to Harabite than men, simply because there are more details that can go wrong. What's your feeling about that? Excellent question. So this is a real good halachic question, even from those who are pro-ascending, Rav Dov Lior. So even those who are pro have concerns about women because a man could go ahead, be Tame, and go to the mikvah, and that's it. It's, he's not Tame anymore. Okay, so I'm talking about you have to wait that whole night or not. Hair of Shemesh, there are different sheets of the Rambam is read one way, post can learn him another way. But within a short period, he could have Tahara. A woman, on the other hand, so let's say if one makes up, we're going to go to Harabayas next week. So we're going to go, we, the Beit Shemesh group, we try to go to the seventh of every month. So on the seventh, a week and a half ago, that's when I was there. So, okay, so we could plan it. But now, wait, a woman is planning on coming. That could be a very cumbersome situation. Now, she's Nidav, and she's going to try to hurry it up. Maybe that she was a badika that normally she would have showed the rabbit, but she's not going to show the rabbit. She's nervous. She wants to hurry up. That could be a little scary. Or if she is not a Nidav, she's with her husband, so that's a concern as well. Then you have single woman who the minig is not to go to the mikvah. So there's no shilas that even among those who support going up to it, there are those who have the concerns about women. In my my opinion, which is just my opinion, a woman and our shul do go. Okay, single woman do not has not really come up in our shul. That is a whole nother shilas because you have a minag single woman not to go could open up a Pandora's box, and you have different opinions on that one. For me personally, our group married women do come up and they're careful. Of course, we went through all the halachot together and they're careful to go to Tahara. The only challenge they have is a bit of a funny one is that you can have some women who are in their 50s, 60, and they come into the mikvah and the mikvah lady is like, what's what's going on here? So that's a bit of a, a funny practical question, how they navigate that. And then some of the innocent ones says, oh, I'm going to Tahara by it. And the mikvah lady like, you know, you got to pick them off the floor. So that's my <laughs> side point. Okay. Well, thank you for explaining that. I understand what you mean. I have a hashkafic objection that I have said myself. I'm curious how you'll answer. I assume, Rabbi Myers, your answer will probably be that hashkafa isn't going to trump the halachic necessity or mandate of going up. I'm still going to say it to you because it's something that always spoke to me. And I'll put it using some words that I read in Rav Steinsaltz. That's all. Rav Steinsaltz in a certain book of his, talked about two different kinds of secrets. He talked about what he calls make-believe secrets and real secrets. He's talking about this in the context of the first chapters of Breshit. He says, a make-believe secret is the kind of secret that relies on sleight of hand to make it powerful, like a magician. Once you find out how he does it, it loses all of its power and mystery. A real secret is the kind of secret, he says, the more you learn about it, then the more mysterious it becomes. He talks about this in the context of the Pesukim at the beginning of the Torah. Every door that you open leads to two more closed doors. That's how it is. The deeper you go, the more mysterious it becomes. And in my own mind, I always thought this might relate to Harabayit on a Hashkafic level, which is that to us, Harabayit, not having seen it myself, is this mysterious place. There's something about it which is special, which I don't really know what it is. I can't really imagine it. For better or for worse, people now have cell phones, so we see pictures, but it's not something which I really am familiar with. I have a feeling that many people are not on the spiritual level that they can truly sense the holiness that is actually there. This is the spot where the divine human encounter has reached its apex, where God has become manifest in our world to the highest degree possible for us. We can't possibly understand what that's like, and nowadays, my guess is most people don't have the spiritual sensitivity to appreciate that holiness that's there. We aren't at the level of treating it like a real secret. So in my mind, I thought, at the very least, let it be a make-believe secret. Let at least it retain that mystery that otherwise I'm afraid I'll lose by going up there and seeing it. It's like, oh, okay, I've seen Harabait. And because I'm not on the Madrega, I'm not in the level of being able to understand the deep holiness that's present there— I will have seen it, and that's it. At least let me keep that distance. I guess that's similar to what you mentioned before with Rabbi Viner, that the distance creates that closeness. How would you respond to that? Nice question. Nice question. I, I always, the term that I love to talk about all the time is source-based Judaism. Anything that I maintain, I hope, I hope that I'm just honest with the sources. You can show me a source in halacha that says 
don't go up to Arvaya because you're not on a spiritual level. Don't then uh, I would say, well, maybe the source would say, don't put on tefillin, you're not on the level. Don't uh, with tzitzit, don't put on mezuzah. To me, halacha is halacha. You have to keep halacha. What spiritual level? Hashochein betoch tumasam. God's with us even when we're tamei. We're not the highest level. We keep our mitzvot. So if there is a chiyuv to daven, if there is a chiyuv to do kivush, if there is a chiyuv to prepare for two hundred more mitzvot, we're missing two hundred mitzvot connected to the mikdash. So, yeah, but I'm not on the spiritual life. Where, where does it say that? Where does it say that? Yes, I give you a halachic source that says we're not on the spiritual level to wear tefillin 12 hours a day anymore. And except for the Zilberman, holy Zilbermans in the old city, most people only wear it for davening because there we're afraid gufnaki and this and that. If you can show me a halachic source that says, don't do kibosh arvitz, give up on the 200 mitzvot of pushing it forward in history because of some vague kind of fear. You know, I need sources. I need sources. Until then, so I'm moving forward. Fair enough. Let's talk a little bit about some of the positive experiences. Can you talk about what it's like to have a tefillah, a davening on Har Habayit? Yeah, so it's very, very, it's it's bittersweet because what we do is when we come up, right, where by the Mugrabi Gate, over the Ezrat Nashim by the Migdash, by the Kotel area, right, that ramp. A bit of a pathetic ramp, but they're not allowed to build. Israel knows how to build beautiful structures. They're not allowed to build anything nice, and that has to be temporary for the Jews who have limited time to go. So that's pathetic, but it doesn't matter. We'll take what we could get. We get up to the Harabayit, and when we first first get on, it's not Harabayit yet. It's still a few minutes before we hit the actual Harabayit. And it's bittersweet because, A, I know I'm in the holiest place that we have, and it's a big zuchos. There is no tefillah like the tefillah on Harabayit. And then we make our way around on the eastern end facing the Migdash. But instead of the Migdash, we have this golden dome. So bittersweet. The fact that we can have a tefillah in the holiest places is to me like, what is a chus? The fact that we could be involved in what I consider to be the, one of the greatest acts of kibush of modern history and that we can be involved in the process that, in my opinion, is going to bring us the 200 mitzvahs of the Korbanos and Tumit, Tahara, and Sanhedrin is an amazing, amazing zuchot. And it's a spiritual high. At the same time, I'm looking at the structure and I'm looking that there are 30, 40, 50 of us and a few others that go up every day. And like, wow. On the other hand, I have a Mesorah. You ready for this? Let me hear that the fact that I'm in the minority here, and I understand I'm in the minority. The Haredi world, forget it. The Hasidish world, forget it. The Sephardic world, you have Ravad Yosef already knocked it out. And even in the Datilumi world, you have the luminaries that say no, and you only have a few Gedolim. If there were no Gedolim, I wouldn't do this. But I have Rav, I have Rav Lior to, to latch on to, Rav Nachum Rabinovich, and a few other giants in the Datilumi world, but it's a few. But the fact that it's minority... On the one, it is scary. Uh, you go by rove, and we're so far from the rove here. But I'm sorry to say this. When it comes to capturing Israel, uh, look at when we left Egypt, we were supposed to leave Egypt to capture Israel. 20% made it out according to the Medrash. Fine. Out of the 20%, we get to the Midbar. No one makes it out. That generation's wiped out. That's zero. The woman and the Kava and Yeshua. Then we get into Israel. Kicked out to Bavel, 42,000 make it back, million state. So, so far with zero for three, leaving Egypt, not successful. <laughs> leaving the Midbar, not successful. Leaving Persia, not successful. And now we come back over 2,000 years, pathetic. Not that it was easy to make Ali on 2,000 years, but it was a pathetic trickle. We have twenty. We have the San Remo conference. Doesn't wake up too many people. A few, mostly non from Zionists. The then the Balfour, 47, 48, 67. and people aren't like, wow. So to me, something about conquering Israel. There's a blind spot among some of our beautiful, beautiful holy brothers who I love dearly. There's a blind spot in our Mesorah there. That's what I see. So the fact that I'm in the minority, I'm sad that not more people are with me, but I'm feeling bad for them, not for myself. <laughs> Sorry to say. 
you know, Rebbe Myers, what you're saying now actually echoes my last episode when I had Rav Chaim Ozer Chait on, and he talked about the need to figure things out for yourself when it comes to halacha in consultation with your rabbi. And he mentioned that in the Midbar, in the desert, Aaron Kohen was the Gadol Hador, and he told people, however we understand it, to build a golden calf, but you can't follow that Gadol, even though people were following him. He said, we have to follow Yoshua. There are times that you can't go after the rove of the gedolim and absolve yourself of responsibility in that way. You have to look at it yourself and choose a rav and choose your understanding and go forward in that way. Correct, right? Based on like on the Mishnah Horios that you have the bait, the Sanhedrin Paskins, and everyone follows Sanhedrin. It turns out the Paskin on an Isra Vodazar, they made a mistake. So Stamma person follows, he doesn't have to bring the Korban, only they do. A person is a Talmud Chacham who has the ability to make decisions and he's more liable. So the average person has to sell a harab, but a person who's been learning 20, 30, 40 years, I think, should review these kind of figures if they think they're at the level. If, if, if. I don't want to push people out of their comfort zone. Okay. I want to progress to something that I mentioned at the beginning and which you spoke about now. You talk about the hundreds of misfot that one can do on harabite that we cannot do anymore. That obviously is tragic, as from Jews, we're losing the opportunity to get closer to Hashem in so many different ways. However... For many people, many people in the Torah world, we don't feel that on a day-to-day basis. I'm sure part of the answer is, well, maybe go to Harabite and you'll feel it more. Okay. But in general, the fact that we do not have a Mikdash, we have living today in the 21st century, by and large, wonderful lives living in the Western world, and especially for here in Israel. We see a thriving state of Israel. We see a beautiful, constantly growing Jerusalem. You mentioned the beautiful structures that the Israeli government is able to make. Yerushalayim gets more beautiful every single day. We live in Beit Shemesh. Beit Shemesh is growing by leaps and bounds. It's hard to sometimes feel that sense of galut, of horban, of exile and destruction that we're supposed to try and internalize during these three weeks. So perhaps you can give some advice on how people can start to feel that sense of horban while acknowledging the tremendous miracles that we're experiencing every day, but also to understand that we're not there yet. How can we feel that in a more acute manner? Great question. And uh, as you said, very well that when you're up there you feel that you feel what we're missing but majority of people are not going up and how do you feel it so and you'll say that what the person should miss the korbanos the blood and zarika saddam it doesn't speak to people and you're looking to emotionally your question was emotionally feeling the korbanos how are you going to feel with stuff that emotionally doesn't speak to people very excellent just say oh two mitzvahs are missing okay but those mitzvahs i'm not missing my grandfather didn't miss it and didn't have it so i hear that so, so I, what I try to work with my students and my, my kihila is take mitzvahs which people could relate to and really miss. For example, it is now the middle of Thomas. Can you imagine in eight weeks from now, Rabbi, 7.1 million Jews, Sephardim, Ashkenazim, Hasidim, Mizrachnikim, you name it, Haredim, all of us, Misorati, all of us, 7.1 million of us, Going to the Migdash together as one um, and what color keeper you have, you have payas, you don't have payas, we're all together. Israel, Jews, we love religious experiences, which is why the number one Jewish experience every year till the tragedy in Meron two years ago was Meron a half a million people. I'm not putting it down. People love religious experience. Breslau, 50,000. That's a religious experience. I'm not putting it down at all. Has for shalom. But can you imagine a religious experience, which is a mitzvah midoraita, of having 7.1, all of us, a million together. That I think the average person is like, wow, that is beautiful. I want that. I yearn for that. And can you imagine, let's take the last eight, nine centuries. Every century, there's another machlokas that rocks the Jewish people. Maimonides and his two dozen arguments with the rest of the world and him, with the Jewish philosophy and his Mishnah Torah and Aristotle, his Trias Amesim beliefs, which he codified Trias Amesim as one of the three but they still didn't hold that he really held by all those issues that rocked the Jewish people. Books were burned. And next, a couple of centuries later, the, the Arizal, now the Arizal's Holy of Holies, it wasn't so simple. The Kabbalah, for those that say the Zohar, where is the Zohar from? What's the source of the Zohar? Now, if you say that way, you're, you're her- heretical. Uh, but there was an argument, the Baal Shem Tov, the Gra. These arguments right, Klai Yisrael, Yisrael Salanta, Muslim movement, bringing Butzer into Halacha, into the, the Yeshiva Seder, 
And now the Zionist argument is that this beginning of the Gula or in the middle of the Gula is that horrible to have a state. The Satmarebi's position. Can you imagine? We're going to have three Sanhedrins up there, Rabbi, by the Migdash. And these arguments are going to be solved. And instead of all this hatred that we have towards each other that rocks us and my son is going to the army and living and dying and your son is this and he's just living off of me and you're not because he's sitting and learning. And, like, and these are harsh arguments to each other. And everyone is convinced they're right following the Gedolim. Can you imagine having a Sanhedrin that's going to say, hey, this is, this is what we hold. So I think that's something people could relate to. So I try to pick out areas that are experiences that are, that are beautiful representations of Emmet, that everyone, the Melech reading from the Torah, and we're all there after Shemitah, Hakel. So that's how I try to inculcate a love of the Migdash, a love of what that ear has, and then Mamela hopefully avail us for it. That's what I try to do. Okay, thank you for that. Let me ask another question that's related to it and is a little bit difficult. You're talking about relating to the parts that we can see will be beautiful. What about the parts that a person might say, I don't really want that to come back? For example, a person might say, Korbanot, the sacrifices, is, you know, I'm a lot more comfortable with davening than I would be with shechting a couple bulls and a ram on Rosh Chodesh. It's not something which speaks to me. And the fact that we would do it is something which might even be disturbing to some people. I once heard a rabbi say that, you know what, we don't have a Beit HaMikdash nowadays, because if we have one up there, people would see a barn, a bunch of animals running around, people trying to kill it. They wouldn't be able to see the depth of the beauty of what's going on. They would just see a bunch of animals being slaughtered. Whether or not we accept that, a lot of people can look at some of the rules that the Torah gives to us that we don't have because we don't have a Beit HaMikdash, and Korbanot is only one of them. And they say, I don't really want that. I'm not so interested in people being given skila, being given capital punishment because they break Shabbos. That just doesn't speak to me. So how do we relate to the fact that we're praying for a future, which will include some wonderful things and some other things that might make us very uncomfortable? That's another beautiful question. Uh, you know, Rav Moshe Feinstein, if I'm not mistaken, what they say about him is, I think it's a true quote, is he said that one thing about his chuvas is that the chuvas are only coming from Torah because he never looked at anything outside of Torah. That's Rav Moshe. I don't think that's Rabbi Khan, and I don't think that's Danny Myers. We've definitely been exposed to the Western world, and there's the beauty in the Western world. I learned in Gush, Rav Lechtenstein's Hechetz Adag who certainly speaks about that a lot. Uh, with Tamidin directly indirectly from Rav Soloveitchik, who certainly had exposure to the Western world. Although he didn't this, he didn't create a philosophy of Torah Mada like his son-in-law of Lufthansa did, but either way, we are exposed to the Western world, and we have a very delicate balance between values that are inculcated in us, whether we like it or not, in that Western world, and a Torah world of 613, which definitely has things that are not in line with it, and I very much, you know, believe that the Torah is my anchor, and anytime I sense something, it sounds a little funny, queasy, the blood. Yeah, that's just because that's not the world that I'm always exposed to. But I know this is MS. This is where it's at. I do feel the kind of the, the connection to the blood. I don't feel connection to the blood. It doesn't matter. I know that that is where it's at. The mitzvahs of the Torah, the authority of the basin is going to be reinstated. And yeah, the world's going to probably have a tough time. On the other hand, we know the world's going to come around as well to connect to Hashem. How it's all going to happen, I hope me and you are both around to see it, Rabbi. <laughs> okay, well, Rabbi Myers, I really appreciate everything you said today because there's a lot of food for thought here for me and I'm sure for all of our listeners. Your love for Klai Israel, your clear love for Eretz Israel is inspiring to me. And I really, really appreciate your sharing the way you look at these issues. These are difficult issues and they're important issues and they're issues that a lot of people are grappling with. And hearing voices such as yours is certainly very helpful for, for me and I'm sure for many people who are listening as well. So thank you for joining me. I appreciate it. Preach, can I just say one last point about I love for Am Yisrael? Can I just say one last point? Please do. Because I, now that you mentioned, I cannot think of a more important way to end. Because the three weeks we're mourning the Migdash, the Gemara and Yuma says, of course, Sinat Chinam. The Nitziv says, Sinat Chinam doesn't mean I see another Jew, I punch him in his face. We're nice people. Look how many Gemachs we have in the, in the Shemesh phone book. Thousands. We're nice to each other. Sinat Chinam, the Nitziv says, is that 
when you or your rabbi or your gadol has a position, and so on who doesn't have that same position, it's not because it's chutzlamachana. And in my opinion, we have to have clarity. We do hold certain people all chutzlamachana, don't we? There is a limit. So in my opinion, we should have clarity. Anyone who has, my humble opinion, two words, creed and deed. Deed means you anchor in the Shulchan Aruch, and creed means you have the basic Jewish beliefs, which include 13 principles of faith. What you hold by Zionism, I'm a staunch Zionist. It's the greatest part of 2,000 years. You disagree with me? I think you're dead wrong, but you are in the fold. And what you hold by the Muslim movement, the Hasidic movement, or any makhluk we had over a thousand years, are you anchored in deed, you're anchored in the world of halacha, and creed, the 13 principles of faith. The other arguments we have, but don't let that push another person who has a different view outside of the fold. Unless he's rejecting those principles of faith then, or not if halacha, okay. And that's a different story. Even then, you have to relate to him properly. But yes, he's out of the orthodox fold at that point. But if you have that broad definition of creed and deed, which is the minimal definition, the beliefs are the 13 principles. And the specific issues that come up every generation, be able to relate to a fellow Jew, even though you're arguing with him. I think that could go a long way in hopefully resolving the sinatrina epidemic that we've had for 2,000 years. And Rabbi Myers, I can say just by listening to you, you definitely embody that idea when you continually throughout our conversation mention people with whom you disagree and still said Shlita, they're tremendous Tamalei Chachamim as opposed to rejecting them. So thank you for exemplifying that and thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much. Great honor. Subscribe to The Orthodox Conundrum on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. Please visit jewishcoffeehouse.com for other episodes of The Orthodox Conundrum, as well as many other great podcasts, including Intimate Judaism, The Mamanides Minute, Chochmat Nashim, The Francisca Show, and Let My People Eat. I'd appreciate it if you go to Apple Podcasts and rate and review The Orthodox Conundrum. It takes literally two minutes. It's just giving a certain number of stars and writing one or two sentences. Please like the Orthodox Conundrum podcast on Facebook and join our growing Facebook group, the Orthodox Conundrum Discussion Group, where you can feel free to discuss issues in orthodoxy in an honest and friendly environment. I hope you'll become a Jewish Coffeehouse patron on Patreon. Just click on the link in the description of this podcast, and you can get bonus episodes, Jewish Coffeehouse merch, and more. You'll get special episodes on all sorts of topics that are only available to subscribers, and you'll be helping Jewish Coffeehouse spread our message of a welcoming, intellectually engaged, and honest orthodoxy. Just join Patreon. It's only a couple of dollars a month, and you can stop anytime, so join today. Finally, do you have a message that needs to get out? Do you want to promote your business, your organization, or your cause? The best way is by producing a podcast, and Jewish Coffee House can make it happen. I have experience producing hundreds of podcasts, both for myself and for satisfied clients. Whether you want to learn everything you need in one day, or relax and record and let me do the heavy lifting, Jewish Coffeehouse Productions will work with you to make it happen and make it even better than you imagined. Let me help you today. Write to me at scott at jewishcoffeehouse.com or go to jewishcoffeehouse.com, click on Productions, and sign up for a free consultation. Make your voice heard, promote your cause, sell your product, and engage an audience now. I'm Scott Kahn. This has been the Orthodox Conundrum on jewishcoffeehouse.com.